Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Now, if this is the first time you've listened to our podcast, I'm going to reiterate Ben and I are a pair of real, legit automotive journalists. In fact, you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. And you can find Ben's work on a bunch of publications out there on the internet. Ben, just plug a couple for us. I would just want to say that anytime someone refers to themselves as real and legit, that's generally an indication that they are neither of those things. <laughs> Well, what would you like me to say? I mean, there's so many people who are who are confused about the the state of news and media and journalism. So I needed to try my best to to fight all the fake news out there. Uh, okay, I just didn't think that those people were listening to our podcast. I think it's I think people who listen to our podcast know what they're getting. <laughs> That's true, Ben. Just go ahead and plug your publication before you make me uh, lose faith in the podcast. Uh, let's go with Super Street and Automobile. Now, every week, Ben and I talk about a couple of cars that we've been driving, as well as some news and questions that we've been receiving in, uh, as, as real, legit journalists. So, and sometimes, sometimes dreams we've had that have been disturbing, and we need to just kind of talk them through. That, sometimes that happens. I'm not sure we'll have time for that this week. But well, that doesn't me... bode well for my remaining weekend. <laughs> <laughs> ben, why don't you start with uh, a car that you've driven and I've also had a chance to drive, although not in the same trim or body style as you have. So go ahead and talk to me about the Mercedes-Benz A-Class that you had. So I drove the 2019 A-Class A220. Um, Is this the sedan or the or the hatchback? It was the sedan and okay. it was a formatic car, so it was all-wheel drive. There's a front-wheel drive version as well. Uh, this is the new entry-level Mercedes. So before we had the CLA in the United States. Um, and this is a car that slots in below the CLA in terms of price. And it offers a more traditional sedan style instead of that kind of crushed rear end that the CLA had that really cut in on the headroom in the back seat. That so, melted um, jelly bean look. That yeah, it I, I, you know what? I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to say it four-door coupe. There you go. It's out. It's out. Someone's <laughs> they, Marketing has made me say it. Um, Every time you hear four-door coupe, a marketer gets some more. <laughs> a marketer gets promoted. <laughs> now you're the marketer of marketers. Congratulations. Um, so uh, basics about this car is that it's basic. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way, uh, but I do mean that in a, this is not a plush car. It's got a turbocharged two liter four cylinder engine. You're looking at, I think 188 horsepower mm-hmm. and, um, not much more torque. It's got to be right around the same, same level of torque, Sammy. Is it not? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it, uh, 221 pound feet. I'm sorry. So this oh, is, that is a significant chunk. Well, it's similar. I think this is like a Volkswagen golf in terms of power. Yeah, it's it's um, a seven speed automatic transmission. The dynamics of the car, it doesn't particularly handle well. It's not intended to be sporty. My my vehicle had an AMG package, which was mostly an appearance package, which is fine. It it does look decent. Uh, I find that the car, it's a reasonable approximation of a smaller C-Class, which I think is a, a good look for what Mercedes is trying to achieve in this segment. But... The paint job that I had on mine, it was kind of a dullish gray. It didn't oh, – sorry, um, what am I saying? Dullish gray. It was a black car. It, it didn't really <laughs> – that is, that is the dullest gray. <laughs> it is the dullest of grays. It is the dullest of grays as seen through a midnight. Um, 
but it was it, it just didn't stand out uh, the lighting is nice at night when you when you have it running but when mm. it's parked in the daytime it looks kind of plain and it feels very european in the sense that when you go to europe and you see what people are actually driving that has a mercedes badge this is that kind of vehicle it's a day in day out vehicle it's not intended to be flashy and the pricing reflects that i think it actually starts at under forty thousand, sammy I believe it starts at $35,000 in the United States with that formatic package. But we got to talk about a bunch of things here. Currently, there is no new CLA. So for the time being, the A-Class sedan is kind of the new CLA, especially at that price point. And the CLA had a lot of problems that made it difficult to recommend, yet people still went nuts for it. And a lot of people bought their first Mercedes ever by buying a, a CLA class. And, and, and you've nailed it up. You've hit the nail on the head. Their first Mercedes. That's what that car was all about. It was a way to buy a badge, and that badge guaranteed you uh, some type of cachet or exclusivity in, in that particular segment. And I've driven the A-Class hatchback, uh, which I believe was is slated for um, the, the North American market as well. And it had a slightly more powerful engine, although not by much. I have to admit that when, then when, that when you take a look at the A-Class in the scope of the CLA, it's a pretty significant upgrade. I mean, it's a car that feels a little bit more high-end in terms of interior packaging, in, t- in terms of interior design, where the CLA could feel and look a little uh, spartan and in, in not refined. And additionally, one of the biggest issues that I had with the CLA was the dual clutch transmission, which was really jerky and, it and was, unresponsive. It was not great. Uh, there is no question that this car drives a lot more smoothly than the CLA ever did. And for that, I'm appreciative. So, But beyond that, I want to know what other pros and cons you had with the new A-Class sedan. Do you agree with me in this? I mean, I, I think it's so funny that you call it unremarkable, yet this is an affordable, quote-unquote, um, Mercedes product, would you... I mean, some people just want that three-pointed star in their life. Yeah, that's know? entirely why this vehicle exists. I mean, this is a volume play for Mercedes. Mercedes doesn't have the same... The, the the market position they have in the United States is very different than the one they have in their home market. And mm-hmm. in their home market, the idea of a plain Jane Mercedes, and I, I say that respectfully, but I mean like a vehicle that's not intended to be a luxury car is much more acceptable. It's it's something – these are workaday vehicles. They make a, a line of commercial vehicles that's pervasive throughout yeah. Europe. But in North America, it's but the focus has almost always been on luxury. So when they brought up the CLA – there were a lot of missteps made, as you pointed out, in trying to bridge this gap. I think the A-Class bridges the gap a lot better. Yeah. Um, I think it's okay that it's plain. Yeah. Um, uh, it, okay, yeah. But the thing is, if you want to spend thirty-five dollars to $40,000, you have a lot of different ways to do that. There are many, many different cars, luxury or otherwise, in that price point, like we were talking about the previous week when we were discussing the Evoque. So mm-hmm. you've got to have some type of reason to buy this vehicle over the others i think the reason for mercedes is branding i don't think there's anything spectacular about this vehicle that stands out other than the fact that it the brand is very strong okay um i will i will throw in one thing and i know that you're going to uh you're gonna have a lot to say about it but the a-class comes with mercedes newest iteration of its infotainment system which is called mbux and has a, a, a digital assistant feature that allow, that answers back to "Hey Mercedes" and can also do all sorts of things like an augmented um, navigation system. Okay, can you tell me what that was like for you? Because I've had some pretty positive experiences with MBUX. 
Although I'm not sure if it translates really well to a uh, a low cost vehicle if it's the same um, expectations. M bucks is the thing I like the least about the car. That blows my mind, Ben. That really does throw me for a loop, and I don't know how to respond to that. The the there there are the, the most positive at so the car's interior looks good. Um, it has some really it cool. Good. It doesn't look great. No, but it, it has looks... some cool ambient lighting and stuff like yeah. that. Like there's some neat stuff you can do. Uh, and the uh, the Mbox screen, which it, it's basically a an almost uninterrupted rectangle of of glass that stretches hmm. from in front of the driver to the middle of the car. Yeah, so it's pre- two screens. It's a it's a gauge cluster and an infotainment. System yeah, so that's pretty like, spiffy looking. Really nice and big and long. That's yeah. pretty spiffy looking too. Interacting with it is a nightmare, and there are two, there are two reasons for this. The first is. For reasons that I cannot understand, Mercedes has moved to the same mousepad type controller that you found in the horrible Lexus infotainment systems. This makes it much more difficult to use when you're driving the vehicle because you have to figure out where your hand is. There's no dial. There's no knob like there were on previous Mercedes systems. That made it a lot more difficult for me to uh, juggle the sensitivity of that that touchpad with the fact that I'm driving a missile of death <laughs> on a road and trying. You not heard to... it here, people. This new Mercedes A Class A220 formatic missile of death. No, any... that's actually a selling feature. I think. I, I'm saying any car is dangerous, and you got to pay attention. And right. if you have something distracting you then your car can be a danger. And I don't feel... I feel like this is a better implementation than you we found previously in, in Lexus, where the system yeah. itself is terrible. Um, but it's still a distraction. The other issue is the interface has a number of sensitivity problems. Uh, I will say this. There is the ability to just touch the screen and do that yeah. instead of using... I was the... going to say, you can use the screen and you can talk to the car as much as you want. Well, we'll get to uh, talking to the car, Sammy. Okay. <laughs> So there's also two buttons on the steering wheel, tiny little eraser, pencil eraser size nubs. Oh, yeah. That are in, you can use them with your fingers. If you're wearing gloves, good luck. Um, But those are used to interact with one side is for the screen in front of you. And the other side is for the center screen, the infotainment main. Which I think makes a lot of sense, right? It's not like the uh, evoke that we had last week with their constantly changing uh, interfaces and stuff like that. Here's here's my one of my general. evaluations for an infotainment system how easy is it for me to move from one song to the next on whatever i'm listening to so for the mercedes m bucks there's no next track button on the steering wheel i can't go backwards or forwards you have to use the tiny little nub to maneuver to the tiny little thing on the screen and then you have to click it that's one way to do it if you're using the main menu that shows you know the um, entertainment system alongside now, alongside options, all that. If you're in just the entertainment screen itself, it works completely differently. If you maneuver the cursor over top of the next button on the screen, it automatically goes to next. You don't have to click it, which means right. if you're trying to get from next to back or back to next, you're going back and forth, back and forth because it's automatically selecting them for you. To further compound the problem, on the touchpad on the center console, there's two little next and back buttons at the top that don't do anything. <laughs> you have to swipe them. I have something that I have to Oh, I have to my goodness. You yeah. swipe them? So you have now, to swipe them either left or right in order for you to to move forward or backwards, so which is completely uh, – I don't know. It's a whole new thing that needs to be explained. Yeah, so let's count the different – There's to achieve the same thing, changing yeah. tracks, there are four different ways to do it. 
each of those ways is different depending on the context of the screen you're looking at or the type of control you're using. That is very bad interface design. And I would say the best way to probably do it is by touching the screen itself. And, and you know what? If Do you think that if they had just kept with a touchscreen interface, they would have freed up some space for other things, maybe even brought the price of the car down in some I, way or another? You know, I don't know necessarily whether it would have fixed the price of the car. I don't fixed it changed the price of the car. I don't think the price of the car is yeah. a problem. Um I do think that they needed to upgrade from command and I think that yeah. M Bucks looks a lot better. But I think that the implementation of the UI is is honestly it's so far behind all of their competitors. And it got to the point – the reason why I focus so much on this one thing that I do very often in cars, just a simple thing like changing the, 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 the music I'm listening to, expand that to every other part of the car and you'll understand that there are so many things about it that were frustrating to do because mm-hmm. of how inconsistent and sensitive the controls were. Um, it, it got no, to the I point – No, I that I want to I wanna... – counter i want to have a counterpoint because i found the rest of the car the driving experience the actual no no i'm just talking about m bucks everything i know i want to say that i want to say that the car drives pretty decently and is pretty it's i wouldn't say it's a sporty car to drive but it's fun to drive it in in, in its own way i don't find it fine it is a forgettable and fine experience there's nothing wrong with it it's not a corolla buddy like (laughs) i think it's i i think it is as close to that as mercedes gets Yeesh. I mean, I think it's intended to be like that. There's, there's nothing about this car dynamically that's interesting. interesting. And okay. there's nothing about the engine that's performance. It's 188 horsepower. I mean, yeah, that's 221 pounds for your torque. It's a perfectly acceptable engine that you would find better versions of in a number of other cars. It's it's not, you know, I don't think this car's party piece is, is its engine or its drivetrain. Interesting. I, I think you're right. Sorry. you sh- We should say that the technology is meant to be the kind of, um, eye-grabbing feature of it, and you're telling me that it's it's not as great as it seems. There, there are two other there were two other big issues I had with M Bucks. Um, Go ahead. You, you were talking about how you can talk to this car, so this right. is, it's supposed to respond when you say "Hey Mercedes." Yeah. So numerous times while I was having conversations in the car, the vehicle stopped whatever we were doing to interrupt us because it thought we had said "Hey Mercedes." Now, first of all, it didn't stop whatever you were doing; it just interrupted. <laughs> it didn't. I love the idea that you're like it, like just hit the brakes of like. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it stopped the music, which to me is unacceptable. I mean, yeah, you don't, you don't know touch so much radio. Exactly. Um, but uh, I've never said Hey Mercedes. I think pointed that out. I've us. never said Hey Mercedes in my life. <laughs> so the fact that it did it <laughs> until multiple, right then, until it, the fact that it did it multiple times while I was driving, um, that was irritating. But much more irritating, and it really sounds like I'm beating up on M Bucks here, and maybe I am. But every time I stopped the vehicle. It showed me a forward camera view of the area directly in front of me. So imagine you're looking out the windshield and the infotainment screen in the middle is showing you a video image of exactly what you're seeing out the windshield every single time you stop. And when it does that, you can't control your music anymore. You can't you can't see the navigation that if it was on that center screen, you can't see whatever options you were looking at. You can't see the climate controls you were looking at. It's wiped out. Every single time you stop, you have to hit the back button on the center console to get back to whatever you were doing previously. I could not figure out how to turn it off. I turned off parking assistance. I turned off the camera options. I couldn't figure it out. So either I'm the augmented navigation system kicking in, trying to tell you that there's 
a turn coming up or no it's not i'm not using the navigation system whatsoever it's just a forward camera view every single time so either i'm an idiot which is entirely possible or Mm. this system is smarter than me and it's that is that is bizarre but first of all who doesn't want to see what's happening in front of them from another angle right it's not another angle it's exactly the same angle (laughs) it is exactly this it is as though (laughs) a second windshield has appeared on your dashboard (laughs) i think that's great there are so many other camera systems that when you're stopped, if they detect a pedestrian or something, they will switch yeah. to the camera view of the area where it detected the pedestrian. Not this one. This one just shows you exactly what you're already looking at. I Why not just show me a picture of myself driving shot from the, the windshield? <laughs> like It's like, hey, here's what you look like driving. That would be more interesting because it's an angle I never see. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that really bothered me. And the fact that I couldn't turn it off made me think that maybe – Maybe, Sammy, I'm starting to lose it. <laughs> this car had me questioning. M-Bucks had me questioning everything about me. I can – I understand. I think um, I think this is the issue is that we, we have such high expectations because so many other cars are getting all of the little details really um, right. And you know what? I made a joke by talking about the new Toyota Corolla. But if you've driven into the new Toyota Corolla, it does a lot of small things really well. It's easy to drive. It's easy to get acquainted to. It's easy to just live with, get in and go and figure out how to change the, the radio stations or when you come to a stop, it doesn't do something completely unexpected and it doesn't have a convoluted uh, interface for you to, to just operate. So many other cars manage to do these things so easily, yet a Mercedes, which is supposed to be a, a high watermark or a benchmark in terms of luxury and premium feeling and refinement, is unable to do this, right? I, I feel like this the A-Class is not somewhere you want to go if you're looking for luxury and refinement. That's not I think what, you're right. I think if you want that from a Mercedes, you're going to have to step up to the C-Class, which is a thoroughly excellent automobile in a lot of ways. And I think the A-Class is a baby step towards that for buyers who can't work a C-Class into their budget. But... If you spend maximum money on the A-Class, you're very close to a base C-Class. So, you know, again, it's it, I don't know if I could recommend this car, but I also don't think – I even though I just spent like 10 minutes beating up on M-Bucks and all the th- ways it frustrated me, it's hard for me to also say you shouldn't buy this car. Like there's nothing wrong with it. I had issues with the infotainment system, but it drives fine. It, it has acceptable looks. It's reasonable, reasonably comfortable. There's nothing. There's nothing about it that makes me say don't don't go anywhere near this. You know. But I do think that in the same segment, I like the A3 a lot more. Yeah, and I told you that uh, having driven a little bit of the um, the two series Grand Coupe, I think this that will also compete pretty nicely with the uh, with the A class. I think I think we should we should be a little bit harsher here. The CLA had some issues with refinement. It needed to be a little bit more premium, a little bit more refined in order to um, to live up to the Mercedes name. The A-Class did not make enough of a jump and potentially introduced a whole bunch of other obstacles into becoming uh, a, a true I, Mercedes. I think it is a big jump over the CLA driving-wise. I think it drives significantly better than the CLA. But that's just one aspect of the. That's the, true, but the that Mercedes. was the big, that was the biggest problem I had with the CLA. It's just it was so unrefined from a drive frame perspective, and the A class fixes almost all of that. Although occasionally it is a little unresponsive, I don't expect a car like this to impress me drive wise. I also agree with you in the fact that I would I would recommend a C class over an A class in every situation. Just do yourself a favor and spring for a little bit more 
Um, I mean, you can get a base level C class for for not much more money. Um, and I also think that some of the compact car um, competitors are producing vehicles that are pretty close to what the A class has to offer. I think yeah. we've talked about the premium feel and interior from the new Mazda 3, which is also available all-wheel drive. And other vehicles like um, from Hyundai and Kia also feel pretty high-end as well. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna, you're not gonna get the wow factor of M bucks, but you also won't get the frustration factor of M bucks. You just I mean, get the I, I just want M bucks in the front, which is I, the the whole buying feature of the car. Right? I really wanted M bucks to work well because it looks so good, and the center console, the sorry, the gauge cluster display it looks really good too. Yeah, um, it just I can't use it. I can't use it in a way that doesn't frustrate me every time. I think one of the other issues, there has to be a way to either change the sensitivity or maybe a click to enable button on those um, steering wheel dial, like the steering wheel touchpads, because just moving your thumbs on that, on the spokes, elicits some sort of response. And I don't think that's appropriate every single time. I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a continual reinvention of a wheel that we already know how to build. Literally, the and, wheel. and it's it's frustrating because I understand on one hand that companies do this because they want to stand out, but sometimes you stand out for the wrong reasons, and being different for the sake of being different is not always a great way to go. Interesting. So the other uh, anything else you want to talk about with this car? I think we're. No, we're I, I think I've really. Up, I think right? I've said my. Yeah, I think I've said my piece. Do you think this class of uh, vehicle like? needs to exist do you think an a3 is significantly better or uh, the 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 two series grand coupe when it shows up or the 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 C, the a class and the cla these are cars that need to happen like they needed to be there or are they just these again we we said marketing when we talked about the four-door coupe um that the cla was a part of is this is this just marketing it's just plays to get more people into cars they're business they're they're business case cars that are required for volume i think a lot of these companies um are seeking volume to stay afloat and this is a way for them to do that and i'm going to be honest i'd rather see these than uh, yet another suv so they need to make these things to make the suvs too right like no it's the other way around sorry yeah you're right it's the other way around the platforms are shared it's probably easier for them to make the sedans after having made the the um, GLA or the um, Q3. GLB. Uh, the new GLB that's coming out. Yeah. And the uh, X1 and X2. Okay. I don't know. It's it's tough. I, I think you're onto something because I think that uh, the crossovers are a little bit more expensive and they're not as fuel efficient and they also are far less fun to drive. Um, but they're more practical. <laughs> so, so that's a trade-off. Speaking <laughs> of more practical... Yeah, you want me to talk about the car I drove? I do because I know you're you're excited. I am actually I was excited to drive the new Cadillac XT6 mainly because I have driven the Cadillac XT5. I have driven um sorry, I have not driven the XT4, but I've heard so many good things about the XT4. No, you, you have not. We talked about the XT4 on the podcast and it was a problem. I thought you I thought you were you were ex- again I think there were expectations on the the Cadillac lineup that are not being met I think is the pro- the point that I'm trying to make and the XT6 I think continues that trend a little bit. This is a vehicle that I think should be appealing to a lot of people but isn't when you when you drive it when you get in it and when you just take a look at what you're you're getting for the money. So in case there are listeners out there who don't know what the Cadillac XT6 is, it's a three-row midsize uh, or, yeah, luxury crossover. It is kind of based on the 
XT5 wheelbase uh, and the Chevrolet Blazer. It has the same wheelba- wheelbase as those two vehicles. Um, kind of like the Chevrolet Traverse or the Buick Enclave, which me and you have both driven and said these are surprisingly good vehicles. So why is the Cadillac, Cadillac XT6 not um, as, as impressive as those two cars? Well, first of all, the car can cost as much as $60,000. And... And on the other hand, there's nothing in this car that makes it feel, look, and seem like it's worth the the price point um, of that. The, especially when you take a look at other vehicles that are three rows that are in the luxury class segment, they just they offer something that others might not. And I cannot find that one piece of information that Cadillac is is saying. Oh, you like X? Well, we have X in the XT6. It's well, not there. I don't know what it is. So you're saying that in comparison, not not merely in comparison to other three-row luxury crossovers, you're saying that versus a Buick or a Chevrolet, there's not enough reason to step up to the XT6. I mean, if the reason the reason is money. I mean, those other two vehicles are much more affordable. I mean, a, a Traverse is surprisingly affordable, and the Enclave can be had with a very nice interior as well. If that's what you're thinking you're getting with an XT6, I think you're you're going to be a little bit mistaken. You're going to get a yes, a nice interior, but it's kind of um, it's all covered up with this. You know, the model I have is a sport model. It has this gold tinted carbon fiber trim. Oh, you're all looks, about the gold tint though, the rose gold. <laughs> yeah, sunglasses. And- <laughs> I I I mean, I wanted to like it, but then I it reminded me of the uh, silver optic. Um, carbon fiber trim that you find in Infinity products. And it is just a bit of a gimmick. It's an extra just, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know what to do to make the car stand out a little bit more. So here's carbon fiber with a twist. Like, <laughs> it's just, I don't think it's fair to have this. Uh, and that's the product that you're getting. You also get a, a slightly different infotainment system. You get the Cadillac Q, which is not the same as the old Q because now we have a volume knob. Woohoo! Okay, that's a, that's a positive, right? I mean, and into, a, control, a, a rotary knob controller, and you do get the usual uh, Cadillac upfits, which is like um, a, a suede-ish headliner. You get nice leather everywhere. In fact, there's leather in some of the storage compartments, which I found really weird, um, especially like storage areas on the dashboard. You know where you would put maybe coins or cards or something, and then if that's coated in leather, won't that just go flying away as soon as you? <laughs> I've never. I was so confused. I've never it. understood any kind of coin holder in in um, a modern vehicle. I mean, they never, like you said, they never hold the coins properly, <laughs> and and they're often in the weirdest, out of the way places. It's almost like they're like, oh, we had a hole in the dash. Let's make it a feature. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> well, I mean. I ones that have that like rubberized coating that can hold it a little bit better but and as well in in canada we don't have pennies but i know not that penny yeah we don't have pennies on the road (laughs) like throw it other cars i was about to say that but i'm like listen to money bags hunting over here now what do you need pennies for you know i remember the last time i threw something out of a car was uh i had these these gum like jujubes and um, I was driving on a road trip with a friend, and I was tossing them at the sunroof because if they hit the pavement, they bounced really high. And I was trying to bounce them into his windshield. Oh, my God. Uh, which is terrifying now to think about now that I'm no longer in my early 20s and don't necessarily do that kind of thing and talk about it. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so I, I would never pitch a penny 
at someone I'm angry with on the road. That's crazy. That is disturbing. Uh, under the hood of this XT6 is a 3.6-liter uh, V6 engine. It makes 310 horsepower and has, I think, 200 and, uh, let's say, 70 pound-feet of torque. Let me just make sure I got that number right. That sounds right to me. Uh, 271 pound-feet of torque. Oh, okay. so close. Thank it's you for not adding us. <laughs> Uh, it's paired to a nine-speed automatic transmission, and all of that is it works. It works pretty well. The car gets up to speed really easily, and also manages um, to feel really smooth on the highway. I will admit, I actually was impressed with the ride quality of this car, and I'm trying to double check to make sure that it has um, a special suspension system, um, continuous damping, con- continuous damping control, um, which I think is pretty. It works very well. The car felt extremely smooth. But again, I'm going to reiterate, there is so little here that I found to feel that much more impressive over a Traverse or an Enclave. And I know I'm going to keep bringing up the stupid Buick Enclave. Nobody's ever found a Buick-badged vehicle sort of attractive or sexy, but the Enclave was a that very is, that good... That is so many sexy Buicks. What are you talking about? Sorry, current um, current vehicle. <laughs> they, they just... They, they just don't, you know, they don't knock your socks back in a, in a certain way right now. And, and I think that's a shame because packaging-wise, the Enclave and the Traverse are very strong. And the Cadillac XT6, to just Cadillacify those cars. But it's hard to think of a three-row crossover that's attractive other than the Palisade and the Telluride. Like, I can't really think of one where – and the Flex, which is, which is on its way out. Like, it's not necessarily a shape that renders – that really lends itself to a, a style where you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I want that in my driveway. Like they're, they're mostly big blobs. They are mostly big blobs. But I mean, I mean, I mean that beyond just design too. I mean that just in terms of like the aura around a Buick branded vehicle is not there. It's in fact it's more of a negative aura. You become more anonymous the more you drive a Buick. I think. Wow. Um, shout out to all of my Buick driving friends out there. Yeah. I, shout out to the hundreds of people tuning out of the podcast right now. <laughs> Who all drive Buicks? What is yeah. this? What? A, I didn't realize that was our our situation here. Um, I wanted to like this car. It has uh, all the right features. It has uh, a head-up display. It has a wireless phone charging. It has um, lane keeping and blind spot monitoring and adaptive cruise control. It has a ginormous sunroof. But doesn't everything have that, Ben? Like, yes, honestly? absolutely. Every feature you've mentioned. Like, that's ex- when you were listing that off, I was thinking like, okay, so what's different? <laughs> yeah, it has heated seats, heated steering wheel, a vented seat feature. I'm I'm trying to figure out what it is about this car that just goes, oh yeah, that's why I would get a it's, Cadillac. It's it's situations like what we just discussed that give us things like M bucks, where the designers are like, you know what, everything has everything, so let's be extra. <laughs> and then you end up, uh, hey Mercedes, yeah, yeah, you get all this stuff that you don't need, you know. And I'm not complaining that we have all these cool features. But I don't necessarily need something else. <laughs> you know, like I'm ultimately I'm there to drive. Yeah, and and I mean I will admit the driving experience of the XT6 is is not bad. It has four different drive modes, including a tour mode that um, is front wheel drive only. In case you were worried about fuel efficiency or um, why did you buy an all wheel drive powered vehicle if you don't want to use the rear wheels in, in any situation, it, the sport model as well. I has it has a very specific uh, I believe rear differential. That is kind. It allows it to send a bunch of power to the to the left or right wheels as needed. So it's a little bit more um, 
aggressive, a little bit more engaging, a little bit better responsiveness out of that vehicle. But, but again, is it, we're is talking it super, about a 40, is, it, is it super handling, Sammy? It's not super handling. This is a 4,700-pound three-row SUV. I don't know where the need for that kind of torque vectoring comes from. Um, you so mentioned it. It's you mentioned 700 it. pounds lighter than a Taycan. <laughs> but it has significantly less torque and less power than those than True. Taycan. So you mentioned this in the MDX. It had that uh, super handling all-wheel drive with that was augmented by the um, the electric motors in it. And you found that to be a very good all-wheel drive system, especially in the snow. It just never felt um, like you could you could it was it was unflappable. So I think it's a is a, be- a good way to describe it. I can imagine you getting the same experience with the uh, XD6. I just I just I'm not sure that's exactly the experience you're going for. With. I would recommend like if you're looking for an unflappable three-row um, SUV and you're in the luxury segment. Um, Range Rover might do the trick. A Range Rover, uh, I think you can get a, th- a third row in the Sport, although that might be very expensive. Is that a good? Is that a? Is that a decent competitor? Uh, the Range no, the Range Rover Sport is the rear row is like really not something you ever want to be in. <laughs> and I would say, I mean, I wouldn't say the XT6's rear, rear third row is is excellent. It uh, is definitely functional in some ways. I also uh, would like to think there's a big price difference here too. Yeah, again, like I said, it maxes out around $60,000. Um, I guess it's not up to this. I haven't seen, I haven't seen a Range Rover Sport. And also, the, actually, maybe I should take that back. The Range Rover Sport hasn't been upgraded uh, in a long time. And it's also, you know, off-road capable and has a lot more power. And I don't really think it's the same class of vehicle. Yeah, but I, I, I just, you know, like for some... There's also the new Lincoln Aviator, which came out. And it's also available with a plug-in hybrid I think 600 pound feet of torque or something ridiculous. Yeah, some crazy I gotta number. Double, I got to double check on that. I haven't driven it, so I can't really say um, whether it's, you know. Well, I have something special to talk about. I will be driving it very soon, actually. Um, and I'll talk about it next week. What do you think of that? Is that a fair thing? Okay. I mean, thanks yeah. for surprising me along with everyone else. <laughs> so do you have any, in, in wrapping it up, is there anything else you want to say about the XC6? Sorry, not, yeah, 630 pound feet of torque in an aviator? Yeah. You see, if an XT6 had something as wild to to stand by as 630 pounds feet of torque like the Aviator does, or a plug-in hybrid powertrain, something unique and different, then we would have it. I would have a completely different reaction to it. But as it stands, the interior is is nothing special. The exterior is definitely nothing special. The powertrain is is nothing new. I just couldn't find anything that made the car go. Yeah, this is the reason I would buy it. Unless you're just desperately a Cadillac fan. And you didn't want an Escalade for some reason. Okay. Well, um, that almost wraps things up for for this uh, episode of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about. And it's just something I, I was kicking around when I was writing an article last week. The idea that, you know, we all know that there's car movies out there. There's movies that they celebrate the automobile or they're about racing or they're about the people behind certain cars that are historically important. But there's also <laughs> like a, an interesting sub-genre of movies that are car movies without really being car movies. And for me, one of the standouts in that genre is the movie Dazed and Confused, Sammy. You ever see that movie? I have seen that movie, although a while ago, not not recently. So it's it's a movie about you know one one day and one night in a in a West Texas town in the seventies, and it's loaded with muscle cars, uh, cr- people cruising around as you do in a small town because you got nothing else on your mind and nothing nowhere else to go, and it's it's kind of become iconic just in in capturing that slice of life. But um, Sammy, can you think of any other movies that like kind of 
they have cars in them, but they aren't about cars. Or maybe they become more famous for the cars that are in them than the plot itself. Okay, that's... Damn, that's tough. Um, let me think about this for a moment. I always found... Um, I know American Graffiti is actually a car movie, but it's really a coming-of-age movie in addition to a car movie. I think that's that's the point of the movie. Is that what you're you're talking about? Or kind of, yeah. But there's, there's other movies like the Blues Brothers, right? Where oh, yeah. ostensibly the movie's about Jake and Elwood Blues doing their thing. But really it's about the vehicular mayhem that they cause seemingly wherever they go. Um, I think another more modern version of the car movie that's not a car movie is Bumblebee. Oh, yeah. Okay. Bumblebee is a, is a sci-fi action movie uh, that stars a robot. That is actually a car. That is... I found Bumblebee to be very interesting because um, the the relationship between the the robot the car and the or the robot and the main character this girl um, ends up being pretty strong. It's interesting in that. Yeah, way. and also the main character is super into cars and she rebuilds cars on her own, and that's right. something you don't often see um, represented on the screen. Uh, so that was that was kind of nice too. Um, and another kind of like far out car movie that's not really a car movie is Rain Man. Oh, Rain Man is one hundred percent. See, that's a, that's a movie that the whole premise or or like the the moment where everything clicks is when it's a discussion about um, a car that um, uh, Dustin Hoffman's character was allowed to drive, and uh, Tom Cruise's character uh, has a, a, an affinity for as well. So yeah, I found exactly. That really important. So uh, it, I love that. If there's anyone listening who has any ideas as to like car movies that aren't really car movies but are car movies that they would like to let us know about, because I, I like the genre and I'd like to I'd like to see more of these movies, please let us know. Yeah. And and you can do that in a number of ways. You can go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There is a form there, a contact form. Fill it out. It goes right to the inbox, and we see everything that gets sent there. So keep that in mind. Um, you can also find us on social media. Sammy is on Twitter. You can reach him at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Or you can find me on Instagram where people are just generally much friendlier. And my handle there is at Hunting Benjamin. Or, or, or you can email me directly, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Additionally, I would recommend you coming over to our website, UnnamedAutomotivePodcast.com, where you can see all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to the podcast very easily. There's a contact form there. Um, please use that contact form or get in touch with us. Ask us your questions. We actually had a really good response to all those uh, answering listeners' questions. So go ahead, do that. It would, uh, it would, it'll make our days. It'll make your day. It's, uh, it means a lot to us. And uh, Sammy, what are we going to be talking about next week? I know you hinted at the the Lincoln content. That's right. Uh, I drove. I'll be driving the Lincoln Aviator, and I'm also going to be taking a look at the new Suburban in Tahoe from Chevrolet. Okay, and I will I will be talking about the Mazda CX-5 diesel, and uh, a little bit about that finally the, came out. Yeah, it finally came out, and it is in my driveway. So that is what we will be discussing. Wonderful. So be sure to check in next week. I can't wait to talk to you about this, Ben. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.